With all the ists that people are accusing each other of being right now, one of them that's totally acceptable but not okay to me is the concept of being ageist. We're living in an ageist society. People are losing their jobs. They're being pushed out and not hired because of their age. But age and ageism is not a fact and it's not something that has to exist. We can create our own age. That 50 is the, the old 50 is the new 30, 70 is the new 50. We can be who we want, when we want, how we want to do it. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Adrian Berg, a captivating writer and speaker and a pioneer in the field of longevity and aging. As an attorney, she helped found the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys, and her company now, Generation Bold Consulting, helps companies market to the boomer and the mature generations. She's the author of one of Bottom Line's most popular blogs called Aging for Beginners, which is part of our You Empowered blog series at bottomlineinc.com. You can hear Adrienne hosting her own syndicated radio show, Generation Bold, The Fountain of Truth, is brought, which is broadcast on the Business Talk Radio Network at generationbold.com. And you can learn all about Adrienne and her books and her speeches and so much more at adrienberg.com. So now that I've gotten all the URLs out of the way and all the websites, welcome, Adrienne. It's great to be talking to you. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure. Well, and we have, you're busy. All your, your websites, your speaking, your writing, and your you're building this new business, this Generation Bold. So you and I were talking a little bit beforehand. I think it's really fascinating that you started your career as an elder law attorney, and then in your 50s, you said, this isn't what I want to do. You switched your focus, and you, you changed your focus to this whole concept of ageless aging. So what happened? Like you're living your own dream. What happened? Why change? Well, I think a couple of things happened. Uh, on a professional level, I was already on radio. I already had written many books, and I already knew that I loved media, and that what I wanted to do is get out the word to a lot of people, not just one person at a time. So that was one thing. Second thing, because it was elder law, I began to see a huge sea change in what was going on really all over the world, and that was people were not concentrating on their death planning anymore. They were concentrating on their life planning. They were looking at how many more years they would have after retirement, what they should do with those years, and how they could make contribution. And there really was nobody out there helping them with that. So on on a professional level, it was a very motivating, inspiring thing that I was able to speak with thousands of people other than just one-on-one. On a professional level, that was great. On a personal level, it was much more powerful because what actually happened was I turned 50. And I had had many, many decades of believing I would die very early. And that was because my father died very early. My mother was ill for most of my childhood. And uh, my relatives basically did not have very much longevity. And I was very surprised to be 50 years old. It was a shock. And as the years went by and I became 55, I began to realize I could be different. I could have a long life. And it was appropriate for me to really do what I loved and not just what I thought I should do. And that's what made the change on a personal level and on a professional level. Wow, and such a powerful choice for a woman to walk away from a huge career that you know people generally don't walk away from. I mean, that, that was so 
as I say, you lived your own life before you even started promoting it. You know, the thing is that I do that today. Uh, in September, I'll be 71. And more and more, I'm speaking about positive deviance. I've fallen in love with this concept of being a positive deviant, meaning being different in what I'm doing than anybody else in a positive way. And I see it all the time. I see it in the community. I see it in assisted living. I see it in hospice, where people have maybe a, a few, few months or a couple of years at most on this planet. And I see it in volunteerism, in travel. There are some people who are really embracing their aging. They really know where they are, and they get out there and they make things happen at any age, while everybody else is saying it can't be done. And one of the things we love to say on our radio show, Generation Bold, is if will everybody who says they can't do it get out of the way of everybody else who's doing it? It's true. There is such a dichotomy of the doers and the complainers when it comes to aging. And I want to get the message across. You can move over from being a complainer to a doer in a heartbeat. So, well, and I want to talk about positive deviance in a little bit when we talk about kind of you, you have seven activities of successful aging, which I want to get to. But before we go there, I actually have an interesting question. I think it's interesting. So you've been doing this now for 20 years or so. And again, it was so yeah. breakthrough when you made that change. What have you noticed? So at the beginning, no one was planning really for their later lives very effectively. So what have you noticed in the last 20 years in terms of the mindset of people, their planning, their engagement, their activities, then versus now? Like, have you seen a change in trends? Well, there's been three amazing changes. Uh, one is that people really are planning. They are much more active. They expect to live longer. So to me, the expectation of how long they're going to live has changed. Uh, it has changed in our media. It's changed in the way we write. It's changed in our sexuality and our thinking about our relationships. So people are really thinking about a long time in retirement, and so they're looking for what they're going to do next in life. And there are things like the Purpose Prize, Encore uh, Working, Encore Careers, all kinds of wonderful things that people are taking on. So that's, that's one. That's in the way they see their future. That's probably the biggest. Uh, the second thing is the money. They're very worried because we are going to live longer and better and maybe we can't afford it. So there's a new emphasis in the law, in legislation, uh, in the way we're planning, the way we're doing financial planning is changing, the way the insurance industry is reacting to longevity. So that's, that's a, a big, big uh, you know, piece. And the last piece uh, that I'm looking at all the time, and I see a huge change, is in our health care. The emphasis was always on illness. How can we cure it? And now the emphasis is beginning to be on wellness. Where are you on the spectrum of health? Are you on the well side or the ill side? And we know now that most of us are somewhere on that spectrum. It's not we're well or we're sick. And um, the medical profession is looking at that, the way we reimburse costs, the kinds of medications we take are changing so that we can improve the wellness spectrum. And that's, that's very big, and, and a lot of it has to do with also our doing yoga and exercise and eating right and taking it on ourselves for self-care to feel better. 
Yeah, I agree with all of that. Although the healthcare, I think the healthcare, there's two sides of the healthcare thing because the practitioners themselves and the healthcare philosophy is starting to shift a little bit, but they still are very reductionist focused. And then we have a whole world of people. Again, when they talk about yoga, they're getting more active. So you're seeing a lot of that piece, but we also still have a lot of people who want the pill to fix it. So we're- Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me because I tend to read things that are a little bit ahead of what everybody is seeing. Yes. And sometimes you can't talk about it because it's not in the context of what people are, are reading. But there's a backlash. I can tell you that while not enough people are uh, in the right weight zone, not enough people are exercising, not enough people are staying healthy. And while that's still a message that has to get out, there's a backlash. There's a, there's a book out called of, of Natural Causes that tells you not to do any of those things. You're going to die anyway, so you may as well just die. There's uh, articles uh, on why not uh, have euthanasia at age 75 for everybody. And the people who are writing this are not, uh, you know, crazy people. They're, they're, they're very well-respected people. Yeah. So we well, have to be very careful because longevity is threatening to some people. Well, and also, yeah, it's it's an issue. Well, and there's a whole movement about accepting your body no matter what it is, which I agree. Twiggy was a dangerous thing. So it's not all about having a twiggy thin body. But when you want to celebrate, you know, what's what's it, my 600 pound life on uh, one of the TV shows. So there's there's a, a a continuum there as well in terms of celebrating who you are. Nobody wants you to to not be who you are in your help you know whatever size and shape you are that's all beautiful but there's also taking responsibility because there is cost to not taking care of your body health cost chronic illness and all of that yeah you have to make that distinction of of self-esteem which is very important particularly as you age and uh and and letting go yes it's uh it's a slippery slope it's hard for for all of us like in everything yes so let's talk about ageism because underneath all of this um, you and I have talked about this before, and you've written about it, just that underneath all of it, in order to be able to live this kind of ageless life, you have to let go of ageism. And there's two right. pieces of ageism. There's inter- what I call internal ageism and external ageism, like societal ageism versus internal. So what's... Well, so- you know, societal is tough, but but my premise is simple. If we, each of us, were internally not ageist, that would change all the external. So for me, the internal comes first. It's also the thing you have most control over. So externally, we know it's harder to get a job. One of the things that I did on uh, one of our our blogs uh, at Bottom Line, Aging for Beginners, was how to write a resume, something as simple as that, because it is more difficult if you're older to get a job. So that's an external feature of it. And it really is a very people. it really is yeah. a very real thing. There really have been yeah. studies where they are discriminating. I can't believe they can get away with it legally, but they are discriminating yeah. discriminating in hiring and in firing older people. No no doubt. And some people uh, have been given the golden handshake and and it's great. They get a lump sum of money to get out of dodge because they don't want the older worker. And other people just get eliminated and they can't get a job. Which so is such it, a tragedy it, it, because there's so much wisdom that they're letting, that they're losing. <laughs> oh, it's, it's absolutely 
uh, wasteful. It, it, it is so wasteful that if I put it in non-age terms, if I told you that there was a computer that could solve your problems, but you were throwing it out, you would look at me like I was nuts. You, you would never throw that computer out. But that's all the brain trust that we have. Right, and they're throwing it away. many older workers. Right. It's so, so, so that's one, one of the, the external. The other external is our society itself. Uh, we, we've come to this conclusion that after we retire, we're supposed to enjoy leisure life and do nothing else. And there are many external things that are created just for that, like the over-55 community where, there, where, where there's all kinds of self-interesting, uh, maybe lifelong learning, all kinds of things you can do, but it's all for yourself. So even the good things about aging are set up externally to make you useless, except to yourself. So the internal one has to be fought, which is that uh, you have to not buy into the culture. When I speak, I, I often say, when you're old, you're in. You're incompetent, you're invisible, and you're incontinent. And, that, and that's what, how we looked at. But we could change that one person at a time. And that's the internal part, because we do think of ourselves that way. I have not had a day in my life, because I'm very, very uh, attuned to this, that I haven't heard somebody say something bad about themselves because of their age and connect it with aging. And some of them are young people, too. If they forget something, they had a senior moment. Uh, I was at a show yesterday, and a lady had to get over a couple of people in the seats going down the aisle. And she must have been 60. And she said, oh, I'm getting old. I'm sorry. I have to, I have to, I may slip. I'm getting old. Meanwhile, everybody was slipping. But she had to connect it with her age and say it that way. So what would a teenager think who's sitting there? When we get old, we forget. We can't move. We're awkward. Because we keep telling this. We keep saying it day after day to ourselves and to anybody who's listening. So do you think we're doing it to be funny? Do you think we honestly believe we're old like is it is it a game is it a you know sometimes people will insult themselves so that you say oh no you really do look beautiful in that dress yeah you know we have i call it the the internal schizophrenia that's going on right now we're all we're all uh have this split personality uh 60 is the new 30 we feel better than ever we think we look good we really do we really look in the mirror, we do think we look good because there's a lot less body shaming. And as you said, there's a lot more encouragement to accept who you are. Uh, we're sexually active. We're thinking all the time. So that's, we feel, gee, we're in really good shape to what we thought we were going to be. The other part of us say, well, we don't have much time in life. We're on the decline. Nobody's looking for, uh, or counting on us for anything except maybe our grandkids. And we can't find a place in society. So these two things are going on all the time. So do you when I speak, I, I always ask people to raise their hand. How many of you feel younger than you ever thought you would? And all the hands go up. And how many of you have think of yourself as having senior moments? And all the same hands are up. So we have both now. Well, and sometimes I think, you know, I talk to a lot of people about self-improvement and exercise and things like that. And it'll, somehow it ends up that there's two groups of people. There are the people that want to be healthy they want to be active they want to you know do what they can and then there's the people that 
are not, you know, are not what I'd call self-motivated. And somehow it strikes me that there are some people like you who are, you know, 70 going on 30. And then there's some people that I know that were 30 going on 70. And is it that, you know, is it society's influences or some of it just they're the internal clocks and we need to help people retrain them to realize that there is this whole concept of timeless aging and it's what you know what you think you're capable of and it has nothing to do with that what anyone else is telling you can or can't do and putting false constraints on yeah i think that you just pinpointed my life mission right there uh and and articulated it really well I just came back from a, a major conference called um, on, what's, uh, on Age-Related Diseases. These are the heavy hitters. This is the Yale and Harvard and Oxford of scientists that have millions of dollars to do research on diseases of aging. And some of them are their own guinea pigs. You, the amount of motivation is beyond anything. They, they look at everything they eat, all their exercise. They take blood tests fairly regularly see who they are, and they come up with very important protocols that can reverse aging. No joke. Uh, some of them are immortalists, like Aubrey de Grey, he's going to be on my radio show, but the fact is most of them are very down to earth. So you have some folks like me that study that, that look at that, and then you have people who just don't. And what I found out about them and why I feel so strongly about my mission is this. Most of the time, the reason is they don't have the peer support that the other group has. Nobody in their circle of friends or family is motivated. And so they don't have any social support for going out and going beyond what they think they can do. And so they don't. And some of that is happenstance. Some of it is they just didn't meet anybody who's doing those kind of things. They are with people who are very negative. As you say, they may be younger. Uh, it doesn't really matter the age. So if I can be an interventionist, if I could be the person, whether it's through radio or a blog or whatever, where they see somebody who is this positive deviant to them, then they get some support and they can move forward and they don't have to go to any extremes, but they can make a difference in their own longevity, their own contribution, how they feel, how they look, and how they think. Well, and I think also going back to all these people that are getting pushed out of the job market, they're not necessarily done. Like there, there's a lot of creative ways, as you said, to continue to work and continue to contribute to society. You simply may not be working 50 hours a day in your law firm or as the vice president of marketing of the major package goods, whatever it is, right? So you, that there's a shift, but a lot of these people, they do do consulting. They are starting new businesses. They're, you know, entrepreneurs. They're able to pursue the passions in their lives that they weren't able to do when they were younger. And I think they're, yeah. they're good inspiration. Yeah, well, the Pew Group, which I, I like them very much as uh, researchers and, and uh, come up with really uh, statistics you can rely on. I myself was surprised, and we, we put this into, I, I think, the, the resume article on the blog, that twice as many people over the age of 55 are starting new businesses than younger people. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by the folks that are doing it. Uh, the other is I, I recently interviewed the AARP uh, because they have a campaign going on for more equality in the workforce. And one of the things they've been doing is they've been getting big corporations to sign a pledge. 
that they are an age-friendly corporation, and they want to have people send them their resumes. So again, there are some more resources than people know of that's just beginning to be uh, available, and that you can get a website, you can find out about that. And there's a whole uh, show we did on real resources for people who want to work, not start their own businesses necessarily. Yes. And there's plenty of places they can go, but they don't know it's there. And so that's one of the other reasons I'm kind of proud of my show, because it gets the word out to so many people more than one at a time. So I hate playing the victim card, but is there a lawsuit for these people when there's such clear discrimination on hiring well, and firing? There's a lot of one-at-a-time lawsuits, a lot of them. And uh, I, I actually will tell you that a very close friend of mine, I would say my best friend, was involved in that. And most of them are settled. And if you're strong enough, they're mostly settled with a nice handshake, right? a golden handshake. But the fact is that uh, you won't hear much about it because once that happens, you are sworn to secrecy, uh, more or less. You're, you're not to right. reveal. And you're still you not in your job. It could be reversed. Right. You're, you've still lost your environment anyway. Yeah. So, and people want to work because they want to work. It's not necessarily about the money at that stage. Well, there's another level to this, and, and that is the level of contribution. Now, again, when you're looking at aging, from a, a 50,000 foot view. You can't ignore the fact that some people don't have enough money to retire and they really need to work. And other people are looking to be contributive in the world. So volunteerism works for them because they can continue with their skills. They can continue to contribute to the world but they don't have to have, have anybody pay them for it. Mm-hmm. So th- there's also inequality even in aging. But if we would take away the ageism itself and make that not part of the equation, everybody at both levels would be better off. Absolutely. All right, so let's talk about your seven activities of successful aging um, and positive deviance. So you talked about one of the first things is you need to be aware of and curtail your ageism. Like you can't expect others to ignore you. Beware of right. and curtail your ageism. So, like, you can't even be your own ageist. You can't look at yourself as old. Yeah, I mean, that's a self-awareness thing. Right. Uh, again, going back to the blog, one of my funniest blogs, it even makes me laugh sometimes, is uh, don't talk about your health in restaurants. <laughs> I am, that it, people may not realize how ageist that is, but I, I can't even eat sometimes because people are discussing next door to me <laughs> with me, every little detail of their biopsy. Yes. So sometimes don't think of yourself as a patient. If you're always thinking of yourself as a patient, what do you expect the world to think of you as? Yeah. Well. So that, it, yeah. I mean, so so you have to be aware of it. Uh, think things like, oh, she looks so good for her age. Maybe we could just say she looks so good. Or she's simply Maybe. so vibrant and active. So that's one of those things. you got to catch yourself every right. once in a while. Yeah. And, and as you say, we're our own worst saboteurs in a lot of ways. Yeah. All right. So then you talk so, about determining your sphere of influence and expanding it. Ah. Well, that's the invisibility part. Um, I have a, a very good friend who was a vice president of real estate in one of the biggest companies in the world. And she's just about to be 72. And what she said to me 
actually made me sad. What she said was, I still want to be interesting. Well, she should be a lot more than just interesting. She is just one of the most dynamic people. But she doesn't see a place for herself. She sees herself as invisible. So we all do. And, it, and it's, a real, it's a real issue. What why, can we do? Why would she see herself we as invisible? Go, is it her, yeah, her, her, invisible with her okay, family, who herself? We are in, where we yeah. are influential and expand that influence. We all can start somewhere. So here's a funny thing. You know, I always joke with the moms that, and I have a good relationship with my kids, but, you know, the kids call you, they love me and they trust me and they respect me, but yet, you know, how often are you stupid with your kids, right? Um, so that, but meanwhile, others people, kids, think you're awesome and think you're, you know, you're the greatest thing. So from the outside, you're cooler than you are from the inside. So is there just this insulated life that we all have and we need to, to step outside for you know, even just a little bit outside, not even like changing the world, but just realizing that your friend's kids love the, you know, your macaroni and cheese that your kids are sick of because you've been cooking it since they're five. You know, uh, nobody, uh, I love the phrase, nobody's a rock star to their children. Yes. Including rock stars. So, so yes, uh, you are influential somewhere. And if you start to think about that, you can expand it, whether it's volunteerism, whether it's running for office on a local level, uh, whether it's just saying and smiling to everybody you see in a day. But my favorite was this. There's a fellow named uh, Milton Grala, and he passed away. He was a co-writer of a book uh, with me and called um, How Good Guys Grow Rich. And he was a philanthropist, and he started very small, very small. And what did he do? Every day, he'd write down opportunities to help people that he missed for the day. And the next day, he would make up for it. He became one of the most influential people you'll ever meet. And that's how he looked at his influence, and he never was invisible. So it's really interesting how some people can figure out a way to touch the world. Some people don't even know where to start like if you say what's your dream or how could I influence it so how do how do you help people who don't know where to start like they've they've felt invisible their whole life they haven't felt great because there's again a lot of people without a lot of confidence they're you know whatever self-esteem issues they have and yet they have so much to offer so how do you help them just start to dream and this is a perennial with almost every guest that I talk to, is how do you get help people to start when they have no idea? Right. So, uh, again, I, I give a practical answer and a more emotional answer. One of the phrases I like to use, and it's not mine, it's motivational speakers use it all the time, the bigger the why, the easier the how. Start by internally looking at what your motivation is. Why do you want to make an impact in the world? Why? What's in it for you that will light you up? If you really can identify that, the how comes much, much more easily. It's just that nobody's ever given you the freedom to sit down and think that. And if you're retired, you might have the freedom for the first time in your life because the demands on your time are so much less. And you are allowed to sit there and ask yourself, why so that you have a great big why and then the the house come 
on a practical level. Wait, before you go to practical, true. before you go to practical, I have a question on the why. Because again, how do I, why do I want to change the world? Below that, if I, if I can't even see that, because it's hard to see if you're not used to seeing it all, do I start with, I'll call it, what bothers me or what saddens me? So, yes, I think that, that uh, one of the reasons people don't put the why down is that they think that, once, that they have to have the right answer. They have to come up with the right answer to that. The fact is you can come up with your immediate answer. What's bothering you right now? Uh, you can always change that answer, add to that answer. But you start somewhere. You start where you're planted. Uh, what is bothering you? What change you would like to see? What contributions you can make? Or the other way. You may have seen something that you like that works, and you just want to repeat it or make it more right. efficient. Or participate That's your why. in it. Right. Yes. Yes. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny an aside, and I've noticed this, and I think that there are probably a lot of people in your world who go through this. I'm so proud of my mother. My father was an amazing man, and they were married for, I've lost track, almost 60 years, well over 50 years. And they had a great relationship, but he was in charge. He was a very powerful man. My mom was rock solid, but he was in charge. When he died, so now she at age almost 80 years old, for the first time in her life, was free to make her choices. And it was so interesting watching someone who had to play second fiddle forever to suddenly blossom and find her wise and find where she wanted to touch the world, and which was not something that was natural to her at all. So, but, you know, right. to, to your point that you're able to find it if you look around your world and identify, see the things that that touch you to be able to make that, you know, one step at a time. And, and not be judgmental and not let other people judge. For example, when I talk about different things I see or my powerful friends or this or that, okay, great. But I have just as wonderful friends who have decided that being a babysitter is what they really want to do in life. What they really want to do, and my mom was one of those. What she really wanted to do was be a grandmother. And she asked everybody, I mean everybody, to call her grandma. It was, it was strange to walk in the street with her because people would come over of all ethnicities, throw their arms around and say, hello, grandma. I <laughs> love what, that. What's going on here? But that was her choice, and she loved it. That's great. Everyone, so, yeah. You know, so don't, don't judge yourself of what you come up with, and don't let anybody else judge you with regard to that. Yes. Okay, uh, now let's yeah. go to your practical suggestion. Sorry. Well, the practical is, you know, my kids always um, make fun of me because, as you said, the kids, uh, what they say is, oh, there's always a book for that. Because any time there'd be a problem, I'd say, well, somebody wrote a book on it. We should go read the book. <laughs> you and my that father, was, yes. Okay, there was always a book. Was, so there's a book. <laughs> so there's a book called What Color Is Your Parachute? Yep. And it yeah, it was written by uh, Bowles many, many, many years ago mm -hmm. for kids who are going to college or graduate from college deciding what do they want to do with their life. And in one of our blogs, actually, How to Find Your Bliss, I cite that book, um, Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow, and other books that will get you start thinking about who you really are and what you'd really want to do in life. And uh, so that's the practical aspects of it. There's a book for it. Well, it's true. And again, back to my mom, like she never thought about it. She, you know, she did what she did. She was amazing with the family. But suddenly when you're looking at a blank slate 
and you've never exercised those muscles, those dream muscles. Wow. Right. So, right. yeah. All right. How about, so related to this, you've got walk or cultivate other physical longevity habits. Well, this is a, uh, again, a mental exercise. Just, again, yesterday, a friend of mine who sells insurance uh, asked me about a certain kind of a policy, and she said to me that her client said, if I have to spend X number of dollars for long-term care insurance, just shoot me. And I laughed because in one of my books, the name of the chapter was Just Shoot Me. I have heard so many times people who do not want to prepare for living longer. They actually do want to get shot. Now, that's what they say in a joke, but the fact is their specter of their future in aging is decline. That's what they see. They, and I'm asking people to think of themselves as longevitous for people who really will live longer. How do you want to feel? Do you just want to add extra days so that you're on the planet? Or do you want to feel robust and thriving? If you want to feel robust and thriving, you will drag yourself to the gym or buy some weights or not have so much fat in your... In your... Now, look, I, 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 I err very frequently on the side of a problem, whatever I like, peanuts or whatever it is. But I, I feel that I'm personally very Aristotelian. All things, but in moderation. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, here's my feeling. If you don't feel it's going to be worth living longer, then you don't need to do any of these things. If you feel that you're going to be, it's going to be worth living longer and you've got a purpose that you still have to fulfill, you're going to do all of those things that you might not like. I, I do not like getting on the treadmill. I get on the treadmill all the time. I, it is not one time that I get in that I don't say I want, I want to really do it. <laughs> I know that feeling. But I do it for a higher good. And if there's no higher good, you're not going to do it. Well, and it makes you, at the end, you feel so much better. I think also, though, do we need to shift our perspective and really accept the fact that, you know, yes, there's the aches and pains. I mean, at 50 or I'm now 59, I do not feel the same as I did when I was 29. I just don't. But that's okay. Like, I'm doing pretty darn well for 59. And that, you know, if, if we all want to shoot ourselves because we're not 29 anymore there's there's so much again the wisdom there's ways that we can impact the world if Stephen Hawking's didn't want to you know live out his life with, with the body that he had and what he ended up having to work against how much knowledge would we all have been deprived of mm-hmm. right so there's a, a perspective change that we we do have to I'll call it accept and respect our bodies are changing, so we need to help it along and do the, you know, get on that treadmill. And you have a great blog coming up that I love, and I can't wait till it posts on hula hoops. Um, so, yes. Well, okay. So, so first of all, we do have to be realistic. As I say, we should not be delusional, but we can be illusional. We can have a little bit of an illusion about. The fact that we feel 15 years younger, we look so wonderful. It wouldn't be so terrible for us to feel vanity and to act like, like we are a star, uh, particularly in the face of being invisible. I, I do like that. Yes, of I mean, course. I mean, you can't delude yourself. Uh, I know a lot about the science of aging, and cells do die off. 
and the arthritis and inflammation does come into the body, and there's a lot of things you can do to minimize it, but there are changes, and those changes take place. And what you have to do is simply be careful, and one of the major, major physical things that you must do is keep balanced. And I mean physical balance, because falls is the major reason that people go to emergency rooms in this country, falls by the people who are older, because they haven't done balance exercises. So that's a small thing, but it can change your life if you can't go up and down the steps from a balance point of view. So there mm-hmm. are some things you have to acknowledge and know about aging and do your best to fight them and, 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 and to accept them. Well, and then also, though, as you said, you keep exercising. You talk about in another one of your um, seven activities for successful aging is it, sa- it sounds like a Geritol commercial. Eat right, sleep right, you know, n- nutrition, weight, body function, that making some healthy choices about food is going to better fuel you for your strength. It does. Look, I'm in a world, as I say, of extreme longevity. So I know about calorie restriction and all of these things that do not make for a happy day. So you don't have to go overboard. But there are some things that, are, that we, we know are, are silly, and the number one, by the way, is smoking. Now, now, look at this wonderful shift. We hardly talk about smoking anymore. Why? Because people are not smoking so much anymore. So when we stop talking about something, we kind of know it's a success. So if we can stop talking one day, I hope, about diabetes, type 2 diabetes, then we're going to know it's a success because we can control that uh, by measuring, by measuring, by staying away from certain sugars and fats and things like that. We kind of know what to do. We just don't have a big enough why to do it. Mm -hmm. It's true. And back to, back to the motivation and back to what you want to do. Now you also talk about living in the right setting. What do you mean by that? Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, We all are living in our bank. What do I mean by that? We put all our money in housing. And this is something that the baby boomer was supposed to do. This was a good thing to do. You put your money in in your house. The house is going to appreciate. Then you're going to sell it. And then you're going to have retirement funds. But the problem is now, in some parts of this country, you can't sell a house. In others, you can cash in. And in almost everywhere, whether it's a good market or or a bad real estate market, we find ourselves around retirement age just loaded with stuff. And now that we really can be free, our possessions begin to possess us. The stuff all around us, the house, the things our kids left in our house. And sometimes it is a matter of health where we really can't get up all those steps or we want to stop getting up all those steps or the other way. We've made it so easy for ourselves that we should be going up steps every once in a while. So we should look around and see what does our environment say about us? Is it really working for us? Is our community working for us? Is it an age-friendly community, which is now a buzzword? But again, the United Nations has age-friendly countries, age-friendly cities. The AARP has age-friendly communities. Is the transportation good for us? Can we get out? So these are, is it walkable? Is there culture? Is this where we want to live now? Just because we wanted to live here before doesn't mean we want to live here now. Is the weather right? So we're entitled to look at that and all of our surroundings. 
And I could tell you one of the toughest things with all this talk, one of the toughest things for people that come to me over and over again is how to get rid of this stuff. Mm-hmm. They get very attached to it, and yet they want to get out of from under it too. So you've got to look at your environment. And again, there's help for that. Well, and doing that also allows them, frees them for the other aspects of ageless aging. Because if I'm not stuck in living in Wisconsin, when, you know, so, so that I, I'm able to get out 12 months of the year, when I'm not stuck in a house that doesn't work for me anymore, then I can more freely do the other things that will allow me to continue to be vibrant and active and ageless. Right, and, and also it's financial too, of course, because you, you may have lower maintenance, you may have some extra money in, in cash. Uh, what I have been noticing, and I've, it's very interesting to me, the sales of RVs are way up, way up, and boomers are buying them because in, after they retire, they're not even buying all the time a new place, even a smaller place. They are storing the things that they really cared about, and they're just going all over the country with their RV for a while. Now, it doesn't last forever, but uh, while they're healthy and they can do it, this is happening a lot, and it's very exciting. It's almost like a gap year in college. They're taking these post-retirement gap years. Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah, I love to see it. The funny thing is the younger people are doing it, too. I think think the 20s, 30s, there's also a trend on the RVs, you know, all that whole tiny house stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, now you're getting into another thing that I'm enjoying uh, researching, and that is life pacing. You know, we we say that because of our technology, we're throwing more into our day, and life is speeding up. But but on a bigger level, a lot of things are taking place later on in life. Statistically, people are getting married later. They're having children later. Uh, People are getting divorced later. Why? Because there's longevity. They don't have to quite do that. So you can take your gap years. Uh, You don't have to go right from uh, high school into college or from college into work. So that's also some uh, real impact of longevity that I'm interested in seeing what what people will do with those extra years that they have. Not just the extra years at the end, which is what has been the focus, but the extra years earlier in life, too. Yeah. Well, and so this leads into one one last concept that I wanted you to talk about, which is tweens right? oh. and tweenism, because we all think of tweens as like the 12, 13 year olds who are not children anymore and not teens and they're not adults. But you're seeing that tweens is at at multiple stages as people are kind of moving, rolling from place to place. But we don't have these def- definition of where do I sit anymore especially when they're not they're pushed out of their work life but they're not ready to retire well you actually had pointed out in in a memo to me that we don't have the rituals that we used to have yep we yeah where we we you know delineate a new stage in life what we had was Eric Erickson and his wife uh the Erickson's uh creating these things called stages of life. And then when they got into their 90s, they even added a new stage of life called gerotranscendence. So we have like this, this kind of human blueprint of what we should be doing at each stage. The trouble is that it's changing because of longevity. And I won't call that trouble. I think that's a good thing. 
It's changing because we don't longer have rituals from one stage to another. I cannot tell you how many people don't go to their graduations. This used to be the biggest, you know, event of your college career. And now they didn't go to their graduation. Why? They're interning in Europe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they couldn't be around. Or they took their online courses. So, so many rituals that we think are, are written in stone, even weddings and how they're conducted are being changed. So what we, what we are feeling is, where are we in life? And that's what we call a tween. So my daughter is 27 years old, and the reason I wrote this particular blog was, in the same day, I had a conversation with her, and she told me she didn't know really where she should be in life with her career. Uh, some people treated her like a kid because they still think that she, she's just a few years post-college. On the other hand, she is paid, uh, and she has a very responsible job. And she doesn't know where she should really be. Well, in that day, a friend of mine who is 65 and has kids still in college said to me, he doesn't know where he should be in life. <laughs> he doesn't know. He, he, he's working. Uh, everybody around him is retired. He's got kids in college, a younger wife. He doesn't know where he's at. So I'm hearing the same conversation from a 27-year-old and a 65-year-old. Right. And I realize I'm a tween because I had a very large contract that just expired, and I'm starting something uh, also very, very new for me, as you mentioned, uh, and that is major consulting on design and so on for adult living. Yes. And am I at the beginning of my career or am I at the end of my career? Well, depends on how you look at it. So we could be tweens and just not know where we're supposed to be. It's a very interesting phenomenon that's going on. It is, although you know what now, I will posit this as we wrap up because, you know, the whole, we started the premise with ageless aging and the labels of aging and people being perceived or self-perceiving that they're old or not. And tweenism almost is reliant upon we're looking for a label what are we are we starting out are we at the peak of our career are you a grown-up are you a kid and your whole point actually is to do away with the labels and to simply be on your continuum and continuously be on you know looking for your legacy and contributing where and how you can it is so true, and I, I want to, to end in what I think is an inspirational piece for most people, and that is don't mind if you go backwards every once in a while. We're, so, we're in such a culture that everybody must be pushing forward all the time, and just because I do hope that everybody will get out there and make things happen, and I'm a big cheerleader for people contributing Allow yourself to go backwards every once in a while, uh, if that's what's happening. Sometimes you have to go back and get a job even after you've retired. Sometimes you have to rethink your relationships. It didn't really work out. Uh, And you'd be surprised. I know how trite this sounds, but I have to say, every time a door closes, another door opens. And if we could not be afraid of that, we really wouldn't think about aging the way we do. Perfect summary. Adrian Berg, thank you so much. Her radio show is Generation Bold, generationboldradio.com, and sign up for her blog at bottomlineinc.com. It's um, Aging for Beginners. Thank you, Adrian. It's always great talking to you. Thank you. 
I'm talking to Adrian Berg, author, lecturer, blogger, and pioneer in the world of longevity and aging. Adrian has been providing Bottom Lines readers with wisdom on all aspects of successful aging for many years. Retirement planning and successful aging are just two examples of what our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, is all about. And Adrian is just one of the thousands of top experts who shared their expert advice with our readers on all aspects of finance and investing, living a healthy life, saving money on travel, insurance snafus, improving relationships with family and friends, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP.